Eli, I knew I could count on you right then. Thanks for helping me out. Many of you told me that you were excited about this story because it's the first time you've really gotten into the Bible. Uh, you've had a Bible. You maybe picked up the Bible. You maybe read a few pages in the Bible, but it is still basically an unknown book to you, an undiscovered book to you, because you've never really read the whole thing. This is an opportunity for you to understand it perhaps for the first time in your life, and it's going to be great when you understand it. As we start the story, let me put something out on the table for all of us, and that is this. If this book has been an intimidating, fearful book for you, may that never be again. If this book has been confusing, has been uh, something that you've been shying away from for years, may that never be true again. This Bible is God's story. This Bible is God's word. His revelation to mankind of who he is and what he wants to come to pass. The Bible is God's story and he invites us into his story to know it and to become part of it. At 9 o'clock this morning... We began studying the story together. We watched a short DVD lesson from Randy Frazee. I hope you saw it with us. If not, I hope you'll join us next week. And each week, I hope that you will uh, be looking into the story and reading it together from the hard covers that we have, uh, hard copies, and uh, then you'll just be able to participate in that. I want to start out with a kind of a, a question this morning as we embark on a journey called The Story. And that question is simply this. Do you think we have the capacity to know how truly awesome, how truly powerful God is? Can we imagine, can we know, can we understand, can we comprehend God? How big is God anyway? I don't think we can. I think his abilities, I think his... his uh, Qualities, I think his uh, knowledge, his awareness, his uh, activities, all of that is beyond us. And for him to tell us his story and for us to be able to enter to his story is a tremendous privilege. Just take a quick look at the universe around us and you will be amazed at what you discover. How many of you know what the Big Dipper is? Anybody? Okay, most of you know what the Big Dipper, the constellation up in the sky. A group of stars looks kind of like the, the old kind of water dipper they used to have. You know, you dip down in the, the trough, get a cup of water, and, and drink it. And uh, Randy Frazee tells us that back in 1996, astronomers focused that powerful Hubble Space Telescope on a little patch of darkness right at the edge of the Big Dipper. And they left the shutter on their camera of the Hubble Telescope open for 10 days. There's nothing that they could see there, nothing they knew was there, but they just left it open and just, just look further into space. And what they discovered was that 3,000 more galaxies were out there beyond the Milky Way. 3,000 more galaxies out there that they never knew about, containing hundreds of billions of stars and planets and moons and comets and asteroids. And in, nine, in 2004, they did it again. This time they focused on another patch of darkness next to the constellation Orion. And they left the lens open that day or that time for, for 11 days. 
And when they did, they discovered there were 10,000 more galaxies they didn't know before. So you had the 10,000 to the 3,000, you're getting up to a pretty big number of galaxies. And so they've continued to explore this. They call that particular black spot the ultra-deep field, and it represents the farthest humankind has ever been able to see into the universe. But it was only the beginning, because since then they've kept looking. And since then they've discovered that there are over 100 billion galaxies in our universe, we're one of them. And we don't even know what all is going on in the Milky Way. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but it makes me feel pretty small. It makes me feel insignificant. And yet, according to God's word, man is the crowning point of God's creation on planet Earth. For some reason, a God who is limitless in ability and knowledge and activity and awareness has focused his attention on a tiny, dare I say, minuscule planet in one little corner of the vast reaches of outer space. I can't explain it, but God wants to be with us. God wants to know us. God wants to love us. He wants us to be with him and to know and to love him, even as he knows and loves us. God created a perfect world for us to live in. The story begins in Genesis which is the first book of this Bible. And as the days of creation unfold in the opening paragraphs of the story, God sees at the end of each day that it was good. <laughs> he's liking what he's seeing. Hey, this, this is turning out pretty good. Creation is good. He's pleased. Please read with me from Genesis chapter 1, just the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Get that, the first day. It could only be the first day, because first time there was light and dark, day and night. And it goes on from there. The end of almost every day of creation, the Bible says, and God saw it was good. God saw it was good. But at the end of day six, the day on which God creates man and woman, the Bible says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. That's verse 31 of chapter 1. Let's read verses 26 and 27 together that describe the creation of man. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. On that sixth day, when God said, let us make man in our image, uh, he made a being that is a reflection of God. Reflection of God's abilities, a being that can think and reason and make decisions about good and evil, uh, obedience and disobedience, a being that can love and be loved, that can choose to love or not love, and to give and receive love. He created us so that he could communicate with us, so that he could have fellowship with us, so he could share life with us. And yet, this creation hinged on one important reality. It came down to one fateful choice 
Because God gave man freedom. Freedom. That, that's our problem. God gave man freedom. A freedom to choose a relationship with our Creator or not. God gave man free will. In creating man this way, God took a huge risk. The risk of rejection. The risk of disobedience. God left man, men's options open to him. To love God, to not love God, to choose God, to not choose God. And so the big question was, what would man do? What would man choose? To love God or to thumb his nose at God? Can you see how there had to be this choice? In order for it to, to be the creation, to be what God really envisioned, what God wanted, there had to be this choice. He did not want to create a world of puppets. He did not want to create a world where everybody had to do exactly what he said to do. It's like machines, like robots. He created a world where love meant something, where obedience was something you would choose. Otherwise, God's creation would be an elaborate but a meaningless science project. And so God was offering fellowship and relationship. He was offering a boundless eternity to man if man would choose to accept what God was offering. Now in Hebrew, Eden, the garden, means delight. And that garden was certainly delightful. It was everything you could ever hope your vacation place to be. It was lush. It was beautiful. It didn't cost anything to eat. It didn't cost anything to do whatever you wanted there. Just be in this place that continually produced its own fruit for you. You never had to work. But the only thing man is doing is naming things. You know, got all these creatures. Oh, boy, there's another one. I've got to come up with another name. That's why we have such unusual names, I guess. But God gave this freedom to man. God gave free will. There was in the middle of this garden a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in this garden, God said, you must make a choice. You can eat from everything else in this, this garden, but you cannot eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man chose poorly. Man chose to disobey God, and paradise was lost, at least until the end of the story. Paradise was lost. In the opening pages of the story, then, there are three acts. There's act one, the creation of the heavens and earth. Everything is perfect in every way. Act two, the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve are placed within this garden. They're told one thing they cannot do, everything else they can do, and they disobey God, and they are cast out of the Garden of Eden. Act three, which we've read this week, also is God's judgment upon mankind, also known as the flood of Noah in which everyone but Noah and his family were killed. And the Bible describes the reasons for this judgment in chapter 6. Follow along here, chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 1 through 8 is the beginning of life 
as we know it. Life as we know it. Not life as God intended it. Life as we know it. It began in a perfect garden where man had everything he needed. Life as we know it jumped quickly off the tracks as man chose to sin and Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden. Life as we know it became a lot harder after man had tasted both good and evil. And that evil that he had tasted started to take over more and more of his life. Because now his very nature was fallen. Now his very nature, his very inclination, his instinct was now toward sin and toward pride and toward rebellion. Not just one act of disobedience, but one after another. And it just kind of snowballed into this life where he's self-destructive and losing the fellowship with God that would have brought life back to him. Life as we know it is still with us today, isn't it? It's difficult. It's hard. You've got to go to work in order to get money to put food on the table and a roof over your head and clothing on your back. If you don't go to work, you don't have those things unless somebody else just provides it for you because life is hard. This is a place, a world where bad things happen to good people. This is a place where little children get sick or injured and sometimes die. This is a place where things go wrong all the time, where things break down, where people can't get along, where people are hurting and killing each other, and wars are are being fought in nations. We have fallen natures. We live in a fallen world, a corrupted world. And this is not the world... God intended, God created in the first place. Back in the garden when the serpent named Satan first approached Adam and Eve to tempt them to, to, to sin, he, he kind of you know, just saddles it next to Eve and he says, look at that tree, isn't that nice? <laughs> is, it, is it true that God said you can't eat any of these trees? She says, no, we can eat from all except for this one. And she chooses to eat and then she passes it along. And when Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit of that tree, it was not because they needed more fruit. It's because this one who decided that he was going to rebel against God and he was going to disobey God and would lead a rebellion against God, this one now is trying to influence man. So he'll do the same thing. And he's trying to get Eve and Adam to think, you know, We could be like God here. We've got it pretty good, but we could have it even better. We could know more. We could do more. And and God's just, God's got some reason that he said no. God's got some reason that must be a selfish reason. And they start suspecting this. And he introduces all these thoughts and pretty soon they tasted it. They ate it. And suddenly this, this whole world of things that they never knew was out there is there in their heads and they're seeing things and they're understanding things, things that they didn't want to know after all, things that would hurt them after all. They wanted to be on the same level as God and it was, it was a temptation of pride. Pride is often at the root of our sins. They forgot their place. They were not God. They couldn't handle what God has and neither are we. We can't handle what God has. Pride is somehow thinking that we know better than God. It's the same temptation we face today. You know, you think God just made this law, and I don't know why he made it, but it's really not a good one. I'm going to break it. I'm going to disregard it. I'm going to ignore what God says because I think I know better. And then the consequences fall 
God uh, has rules. God has commands. God has ways of life that actually protect us and actually help us. But pride is always looking for a way to do what pleases us. Pride is ignoring the God who created us. The God who knows how life works. And when we think we know better, we're in big trouble. We live in a war zone, don't we? The world as we know it is a war zone. It's a place of battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between God and between Satan. Satan is a liar. Satan brings death. He is our sworn enemy. And even though he acts good, even though he portrays himself as an angel of light, even though he looks beautiful, even though he looks desirable, and what he's offering is desirable, he is actually an agent of death. But God is truth. God brings life. Early in this story, as Satan approached Eve and got her to eat the forbidden fruit, he says, uh, you know, this, this tree would be good. And she gives in, and pretty soon it just snowballs into this terrible thing for them, and they're cast out of the garden. There was no going back to the way things had been before. Sin changed everything, and death ensued. Death was unavoidable. But never did God lie to them. God told them the absolute truth. God protected them. God gave them one rule so that they would be protected from all those things that happened so terribly to them later. Satan brings death, but God brings life. Henry Blackaby said, Jesus warns us to be on guard for thieves. Thieves like Satan, who will try to rob us of what God has for us. Jesus wants us to enjoy enjoy abundant life. That's what John 10 says. I have come that they may have life and abundant life, life to the full. And since the time of Adam and Eve, Blackaby says, people have had to choose whom to believe, whom to trust. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that forfeiting their obedience to God would gain them everything. Instead, their disobedience robbed them of everything that they had for the rest of their lives, they experienced only a fraction of the blessings God had intended. And this is what happens to us today in our relationships, in our work, in our play, in our our, uh, activities. There is this lie being sold to us constantly by Satan. And we have to be on guard because this thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. John 10.10 also says that. Be careful of that thief. When they were expelled from the garden, Adam and Eve started raising a family. They started raising the family on the outside, out in the world, and in a few years they experienced more pain as they watched one of their sons murder their other son. The sinful nature that had come into them back in the Garden of Eden when they partook of that tree, when they disobeyed God, was now transmitted to their children and to their children's children. And generation followed generation. And man became more and more depraved, more and more uh, degraded, more and more uh, down in in the, the sewer of life. Fewer and fewer people followed God. And one day God decided to punish the peoples of the world through a great flood. And only righteous Noah and his family were saved. But even then, Righteous Noah couldn't save mankind. The sin virus went with them on the ark and it came back off. When they came off that ark, it was still with them. 
He was the best man around, but he wasn't good enough to save the rest of mankind. And they started up again, and almost immediately there's more sin. It was going to be required for God himself to come and bring a solution. To be himself the sinless sacrifice that would take upon himself the sins of the world. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, so we're going to stop there. That's the rest of the story will come. What I want you to see today is this, that God has told his story because he wants us to know the truth. He has laid out a foundation here in these opening chapters of the story, Genesis and the Bible, because he wants us to know the truth. Because when we know the truth, we can help over, overcome and avoid the lies of our enemy and take hold of the life that is truly life. Remember we talked about that last week? 1 Timothy 6.19 says, I want the people who hear my words, Paul says, to take hold of the life that is truly life, not counterfeit life, not fake life, not the life of mass, not the life of shame, not the life where you have to hide from God and you have to put on covering so your nakedness is not shown like Adam and Eve had to do in the garden, but the life that is truly life, the life your friends don't know about, the life that those who don't know Jesus haven't yet experienced, that kind of life. And God wants us to know his story so that we can stop following the world's false ways of finding satisfaction and meaning in life and follow his ways because we need to listen to God's ways because only then can we find true meaning and fulfillment in life. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable. He says there was a father that had two sons and the younger son decided that he wanted to leave home early. He didn't want to wait he wanted to experience life. He wanted to enjoy life. And so he asked his father, can I have my inheritance now? Can I have it early? I don't want to be here anymore. And so his father gives him a chunk of money. And he leaves. And he goes off and he squanders it. He wastes it in what the Bible says is riotous living, uh, depraved living. He's just living whatever he wants to do, doing doing without any regard for anybody else. He has a whole pile of friends at first because they enjoy his money. They enjoy the good life too. They're all just having a great party together and then all of a sudden the money runs out and a famine comes to the land and now this young man is down feeding the hawks and he is so hungry, he's thinking about eating what the hogs are eating. And suddenly he comes to his senses and he says, maybe if I go home, I can ask my father not to be a son again, but to just be one of his servants, because even his servants are taken care of very well. I'll go back and I'll confess and I'll repent and I'll say, I'm sorry. Uh, could I just be one of your servants? And so he starts making the long trek home. And before he can even arrive at the house, his father comes running to meet him because he's been watching for his son from the front porch. And he runs out to him and he embraces him and he kisses him and he's just lavishing love on him. And he says, son, I'm so glad to see you. And his son says, well, wait, dad, I've got this speech prepared. I want to tell you how sorry I am. He says, don't forget that. I'm just glad you're home. I'm glad that you're here. And, and let's, let's have a party. Kill the fattened calf, you know, and throw a robe on him and give him a ring. And let's celebrate because my son who is lost has been found. My son who is dead is alive. This is the heart of God. 
This is why the story was written, because God is his loving father, and we are the prodigals. We've run off. We thought we knew better. We disobeyed. We said, God, just give me my inheritance. What I want of it now, I'll go do what I please, because I don't like your rules. I don't like the structure. I don't like the laws. We throw it off, and we live as we want. And then we reap the consequences of those terrible, foolish decisions. And meanwhile, our God is waiting on the front porch, hoping that we'll come to our senses, hoping that we will want to come home, and He makes a way for that to happen. That's the story. And the story is about God. The story is about us. The story is about the relationship. The story is about the love. The story is about our future. That through God, we can come home. And through God, we can be saved. And through God, we can make better choices. And through God, we can influence other people to know His story. And they can have their lives turned around as well. That's the story. The point of the story, to see God's story perhaps the first time, is that this story, this love story, is specific. It's special for you and for me. It's for everybody, but it says something to you. God will speak to your heart through this story. And what it says simply to each one of us is this, that God is constantly seeking and pursuing each of us. He doesn't give up on us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, no matter who we went there with, God doesn't give up. And He is seeking us and pursuing us. He wants that relationship with you and me. The question is, are we seeking Him? Are we seeking and pursuing Him? And that's that's why we're reading this story. We're reading because we want to know God. We want to know His ways. We want to know His heart. We want to know His love. We want to experience that. And so the question for us today as we launch this, as we begin this together, are you pursuing God or are you pursuing the world? Are you pursuing a life of obedience and pleasing God and honoring God and and God, just tell me what to do. I want to do that. Or are you still proud and still seeking your own way, trying to please yourself? Is your life truly lived For God, or is it about pride? Are you satisfied with life as we know it? I'm not. I don't want life as we know it. I want life as God intended it, don't you? I want life that is truly life. And the only way to know that life is to know the one who told us his story. I think we're going to learn together over the coming weeks as we explore and read this story together, who really wants to know? Some are going to give up, and some will stick with it. And by that, we're going to know if you really want to know God's story. It doesn't have to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with New Hope Christian Church, because this isn't my story. This isn't New Hope's story. We're part of it. We're in it. But this is God's story, and God wants to speak to every heart. He wants to speak to every one of us. And we will decide that as He seeks and pursues us, whether we're going to keep running away, rebelling, and doing our own thing, or whether we're going to really listen and obey and return His love. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your story. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us in it. I pray for each person here today that we would not think about anyone else right now, but our, only ourselves, uh, about our relationship with you. Because this story is for us. This story is, is for everyone, but it's specific. It's, it's, it's special to each one of us. Because you know us, each one. Lord, we can't do that. I don't even know everybody in this room today. And you know not only the 7 billion people on this planet, but you know everybody that's ever lived on this planet even before them. And you not only know their name, you know them so well, you know the number of hairs on their head. You know everything about them from beginning to end of their life here on earth. You know where they are right now. And you know where we're going. As that loving father standing there on the front porch, we come to you wanting to apologize, wanting to confess, wanting to acknowledge our need for you and that we don't deserve even to be your slave, your servant. But knowing somehow you love us, somehow you've kept the light on for us. Somehow your love has put you out there looking for us day after day, pursuing us, seeking us out. And your desire, your vision, your plan is that we would desire you and we would want to live with you and love you forever. Uh, help us to learn your story and help us to enter into that story as you want us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing a song together. Becky had to leave, so I'm going to go jump on the keyboard. Let's stand together and let's sing.